<laughs> well, anybody that sat in my Sunday school class knows that that ain't true. Uh, <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hey now, come on. <laughs> uh, oh really? All right. <laughs> so what was y'all's New Year's resolution? Did any of you choose to quit smoking? How about lose some weight? Maybe pay off some debt? Perhaps you chose to read the Bible more. When did all this start? When did we start making New Year's resolutions? I did a little research and I come up with uh, an article wrote by Sarah Pruitt. She works for the History Channel and uh, A&E. This is what she has found about New Year's resolutions. The ancient Babylonians are said to have, had the, have been the first people to make New Year's resolutions some 4,000 years ago. They were also the first to hold recorded ceremonies in honor of the New Year. Though for them, New Year began not in January, but in March, where their crops were being planted. During a massive 12-day religious festival known as Akiatu, the Babylonians <coughs> crowned a new king or reaffirmed their loyalty to a reigning king. They also made promises to the gods... To pay, to pay their debts and return objects that they had borrowed. Now that sounds like a good idea. I don't know about y'all. <coughs> the promises could be considered the forerunners of the New Year's resolution. If the Babylonians kept their word, their pagan gods would bestow favor on them for the coming year. If not, they would fall out of God's favor, a place no one wanted to be. A similar practice occurred in ancient Rome after the reformers, the reformer-minded empire Julius Caesar tinkered with the calendar and reestablished January 1st as the beginning of the new year <coughs> in 45, or 46 B.C. Named from Janus, the two-faced god who spirited inhabited doorways and arches. January has special significance for the Romans. Believing that Janus symbolically looked backwards into the previous year and ahead into the future, the Romans offered sacrifices to the deity and made promises for good conduct for the coming year. Now this is where it starts relating to us. For early Christians, the first day of the new year became the traditional occasion for thinking about one's past mistakes and resolving to do and be better in the future. In 1740, the English clergyman John Wesley, founder of the Methodism, founder of Methodism, created the Covenant Renewal Service, most commonly held in the New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, also known as Watch Night Service. They included readings from scripture and hymn singing <coughs> and served as a spiritual alternative to the unpleasantly loud celebrations normally held to celebrate the coming of the new year. That sounded like a good idea. Now popular within evangelical Protestant churches, especially African-American denominations and congregations, 
watch night services held on New Year's Eve are often spent praying and making resolutions for the coming year. Now, here's a little bit of... Despite the traditional religious roots, New Year's Eve resolutions today are mostly secular practice. Instead of making promises to the gods, most people make resolutions only to themselves and focus purely on self-improvement, which may explain why so many resolutions are hard to follow through on. According to recent research, while as many as 45% of Americans say they usually make New Year's resolutions, only 8% are successful. That's a little number. <coughs> but that dismal recording probably won't stop people from making resolutions anytime soon. After all, we've had about 4,000 years to practice. So that's what Sarah Pruitt wrote about it, and I thought it was... Uh, Pretty interesting because I never knew where all this started. And when I wrote this sermon a, a month ago, I, I started off with New Year's resolutions. And, and I thought, well, where did that come from? I want to I know a little bit more about it. So I did some research, and her article was the best one. Um, so we as a society have become pretty much accustomed to making these New Year's resolutions. We make changes in our lives at the end of the year to better ourselves for the next year. Now how does this relate to what I'm going to preach about today? To a non-believer of Christ, a person may think that they need to make changes in their own lives before they let Christ into their hearts. They come up with these reasons. They say, how can Christ love me with all this sin in my life? Or they come up with the idea that I've done too many bad things for Christ to even want anything to do with me. Or I don't know if I can even live up to the standards of being a Christian. I mean, there's so many rules you have to follow. Which, you know, we know that's not true. We can come up with so many reasons as to why we are not ready or worthy for God's love. But in Luke chapter 15, he tells us that this is not true. I'd like y'all to go ahead and, and find Luke 15. We're going to start in 11 and go to 32. This is the prodigal. This is the parable of the prodigal son. When you find it, please stand. I ask y'all to pray with me before we read God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day you've given us, Lord. Thank you for this time to come out and worship you, Lord, with these beautiful songs. Lord, I ask right now that you, you use this message that you, you've delivered to me, Lord, that you use it to touch somebody's heart today, whether it's in this building or it's out there on the web. Lord, whoever's watching or listening, Lord, I pray that they get something out of this because it taught me so much, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity. I ask right now that you just hide me behind your cross, Lord. Lord, that you use my weakness to show your glory, Lord. Lord, I thank you for all the people coming out today, Lord. I just pray for the ones that couldn't make it, that are home right now sick, that are home right now taking care of sick ones. Lord, I just I pray for them, Lord, that you just be with them today. 
I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <laughs> in uh, chapter 15, verse 11, it starts. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far, a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him to work in the fields and feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And we shall eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and never, dis never disobeyed your command. Yet you never give me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes and has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. <coughs> this parable, you can go ahead and be seated, sorry. That's a little long, I know, it, it, the whole prodigal son story, but I mean, it, it really hit me. Um, I've listened to Kevin teach this I've listened to Nick preach this and then uh, I was reading a book not too long ago and it really jumped out to me I mean this, this is a whole different meaning um, this parable has two parts but first we're going to look at the son who left the father <laughs> the first son in this story represents the non-believer or the fallen away Christian. 
He has left the Father who created him and went into the world. And after Satan has taken his toll on him, the son realizes that he needs to come home back to the Father. So the son comes up with some things that he needs to do before he can go home. He's made a list of some confessions that he needs to make and some jobs that he needs to do. In Luke uh, 15, 18 through 19, he said, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now he's got this first part right. If you look, he says, um, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He's made a confession that he's a sinner. But then he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I've screwed up, Dad. You know, I, I understand you don't love me anymore. I understand I'm not good enough for you anymore. Sound familiar? He says, treat me as one of your hired servants. Dad, give me some works to do so I can earn what little bit of graciousness you, you will give me. Don't that sound like a non-believer or a Christian falling away from Christ? Trying to fix themselves to come back to the Father? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Paul says, <coughs> For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For good works which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. There's no list of works that you need to come up with in your mind. God has laid these things out for you. All you have to do is just be paying attention and follow. He said, you are saved by the grace of God through faith alone. Man. The son wanted to come home as a servant unworthy of his father's love. He would spend the rest of his life working the field for a little bread. But what does the father say when he sees this what does the father do when he sees the son walking up the road verse 20 says but while he was still a long ways off the father saw him and felt compassion he felt compassion when he seen him coming over that hill he didn't feel wrath or anger he felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him this son has disgraced this family in this city, in this village, whatever. When he left, he disgraced this family. He didn't deserve his father's embrace. He didn't deserve his father's uh, compassion. Not many other families would have got that in this day of time. But this father, this father, he seen and he felt compassion. He ran and embraced and kissed him. <coughs> And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe. Cover my naked son. Put a ring on him so people will know that he's my son. 
put shoes on his feet so he don't have to watch where he steps. And let us and kill the fattened calf and let us eat and celebrate. Fill his belly because he's hungry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and found. The father gets up and runs to the son. Runs to him. He didn't make him walk all the way up to the house. He ran to him. And the son, as he begins to make his plea, the father don't even let him finish. He don't even let him finish telling the, the things that he's willing to do. He wraps his arms around him and smothers him with love. <coughs> Before he can even finish his plea to his ecstatic father, dad calls for a celebration. My son is home. Ain't that just like a father's love? No terms, no conditions, no contracts. Just a simple act of wanting to come home. And he's waiting right now. He's sitting on the front porch. He's ready to <coughs> shower his love on you, on me, on him, on her, on all of us. We don't need to fix this or cut that. We don't need to start this and quit that. We don't need to start cleaning up our lives before we let Jesus into our hearts. He's sitting on the front porch right now just watching the horizon. <coughs> He's waiting on you to make the decision to come home. To come home to Him. Matthew Chapter 11. I just messed up. <coughs> I, I do notes differently. I'm going to apologize right now while I'm trying to find my spot. Um, Matthew. But uh, yeah, I, I have everything on a tablet here. And when I hit the wrong button, it goes haywire. So sorry out to, to y'all, y'all in internet land. Uh, this seems to happen to me about every time I do this. You think I come up with a better way, but uh, if I write it out on notes, I'll have a stack of papers up here. Uh, I think I found it. Yep, and Matthew chapter eleven. Sorry. Verse 20 through 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's, that's the requirement. Just come to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I will give you a robe. I will put a ring on your finger. I will put shoes on your feet. And I will kill the fattened calf for you. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You know, we get these misconceptions as uh, 
we're coming to Christ or we don't know who Christ is, that, you know, we've got all these rules that we have to follow as Christians. You know, I've got to clean this up. I've got to quit doing this before I can, before I can even go to church. And that's not true. You're not going to wake up one morning and flip a switch on and life's going to be perfect and you can start going to church and becoming a Christian. That's not how it works. It don't do that. You've got to make that first step. You've got to get up and you've got to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And start walking home. He's sitting on the porch right now waiting for you. That's all you've got to do. There's no load to carry just to carry your cross. These are my sins. These are my burdens. I'm not going to lay them down before I come to Christ. I'm going to carry them to Christ so he can lay them down for me. Because that's what he does. Yeah, things are going to get tough. Satan is going to come after you. It's going to happen. If it's not, you need to do some examinations to your life. Because if he's not attacking you, he's winning somewhere. I had to put this in here. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Hmm. So we're going to Move on. So what, what does the other son in this parable, who is he? What is he supposed to represent? Let's look in uh, Luke 15, 25-30. <coughs> Excuse me, let me get a drink of water, y'all. Huh. Is it hot in here? No. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and earnestly asked him, <coughs> But he answered his father and said, Look, this many years I have served you. I've done all these things. And I have never disobeyed your commands. I've always followed all your laws to a T. And yet you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. When this sinner comes home, you embrace him. But I've done all these things. I've done all these works. I've listened to your rules. And I didn't get a fattened calf. This is a reference to the Christians. Yes, the Christians. The Christians who get caught up in their works. The ones who forget about how they received God's grace. When we see the sinner coming to grace. And we see all that God's doing for him. Or her. Or them. We get jealous. 
They don't deserve grace. Look at the life they live. Look at the things that they've done. Before we know it, we've become the Pharisee praying in the temple with the tax collector. Luke 18, 11, 11 and 12, it says, The Pharisee standing by himself prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I've done great works. This man's a sinner. He don't deserve grace, but I do all the things that deserve grace. Sound familiar? Man. But what does the father say to the son in this parable when he, when he refuses to go inside? In 31 and 32, he said, <coughs> and he said to him, say, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. All that is mine is yours. If you wanted a fattened calf, all you had to do was ask for one. It's fitting to celebrate because your brother was lost and now he is found. We the Christians are saved by the grace of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Why on earth would we feel jealous over someone coming to the Lord? Maybe it's because we've seen God do great things in their lives. And we feel that that person might be undeserving of those things. After all, look at all the works that I've done for God. And still I struggle. I struggle with problems or situations and God has yet to bless me with the fattened calf for my problem or the best robe for my situation. Maybe if we weren't putting ourselves first, we would see that he has blessed us with so much already. Verse 31 said, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. So are we praying for those things in our life? You really want a fattened calf? Are you asking for one? Do you really need shoes on your feet? Are you asking for them? Don't get jealous when you see somebody else receive those things. When we are with him, he gives us all we need. We just need to always remember, remember to humble ourselves. Be humble and give thanks and be grateful for those blessings. What do you, you expect him to give him more when you're not grateful for what you already have? That includes being thankful for someone else's blessings. Don't let Satan use jealousy in your life to lead you away from the joy that God is doing in your brother and your sister's life. Don't let that jealousy separate you from the Christian you're supposed to be. Sharing that loving heart. When they're celebrating, we're celebrating. When Nick's happy, I'm happy. Ain't that how it's supposed to work? 
When I'm suffering, ain't Nick suffering? Are you feeling bad, brother? Nah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the way it's supposed to go. We are a family. When that person makes that decision to let Jesus Christ into their hearts, they become your brother and your sister. Be glad for them. You see God doing amazing things in their life? Celebrate with them. Encourage them because it's going to get tough for them. Just because you see a blessing here and there, that's, that's God pushing them. Say, look, brother, it's fixing to get tough, man. I love you and I want you to, to feel comfortable right now because Satan, he's already been asking for you. He's done asking and I, and I said, okay, so you better get ready because there's a trial coming. I need you to stay strong and get through this because you can do it. Because you've got these brothers and sisters around you that love you and they're going to be there to encourage you. They're going to be there to lift you up. They're going to be there to help you along. That's how it's supposed to work. Verse 32 said, And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and is found. <laughs> we need not forget all the things he did for us when we were saved. Remember when you got saved? Remember the changes that come in your heart? Yeah, you had to tell some people, you know, I'm a Christian now. Um, yeah, I don't feel right doing this, and and uh, I don't feel right hanging out in this situation. And yeah, I'm not gonna be able to. I'm not gonna be able to make it to the party Friday night. Nah, you know, that's just not my scene anymore. You had to tell some people bye. I had to let some people out of my life. Not because I wanted to, but because I, I made this change in my life. And, you know, when I hang around with those people, I was tempted. And I'm supposed to resist this temptation. And, you know, it just seemed easier when I wasn't around it to, to resist it. So, you know, I, I'm not going to quit drinking alcohol and go hang out at bars and, and uh, try to talk to people about Jesus because guess what? I might end up three or four bottles in before we get 45 minutes into this uh, journey. It, it's not how it works. You don't quit doing something and then go hanging out with those uh, same people thinking that you can change them. they got to change on their own. And maybe when they see what God is doing with your life and what God is doing with you, and how you've changed, maybe that'll make them say, hey, I might, I might need to uh, examine my life. I might not, not need to ignore this any longer. I might need to look at the, into this Jesus Christ person and, and is he really something I can, because, you know, my buddy here, he, he accepted him into his heart. Man, you should see the things he's doing now. Yeah, he's going through a little tough time here and there, but, man, God's really grown him. Maybe he can do that with me, and he can. He can. He will. All you got to do is accept. Because we too were dead in sin. But he gave us life when we found him. We were lost and have been found. Amen. Matthew 23 verses 37 through 40. <laughs> and he said to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I really like that second one. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that, that don't just mean Christians. That don't just mean the people we go to church with. Everybody, that's right, everybody. We are to love everybody. You know, we, we go into this world with these judgmental hearts and these judgmental minds, and we think, well, you know, that, that person, boy, they're, they're a long ways off. They got a long way to go. I know I got some in my family. They got a long way to go. But we're supposed to love them. How are they supposed to see God's love if we're not going to show it to them? How are we supposed to show what God is doing in our lives if we're not willing to share it with somebody? How's that supposed to work? Are we going to start uh, charging dues to be part of this club? That's not how it works. So as we go through this new year and we struggle with these resolutions that we've made, Let's not forget to celebrate the great things that God will be doing for us and others when they are new believers. Or they've already been saved and they're coming back to God. Do not forget that he told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I love that scripture. I love how he uses our weaknesses to show his glory. I mean, that's just amazing. That's something that I can look forward to in this new year. I didn't make any resolutions. I thought about it, but I never keep them. Never do. I'm part of that 45% that that makes them and doesn't keep them. Um, but I think that if we were to focus off self and onto God, like the, the early Christians did and even, even the pagans, even though they were serving the wrong gods and the Romans and stuff, they, they still had an idea of, you know, I make this resolution to God. I don't make it to myself. I make it to be a better person next year. So as a Christian... You know, like reading the Bible more, uh, being more involved in my church, you know, getting, getting to be a part of something bigger than myself. But don't make it to you, make it to God. And I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I think that's it. I don't have any more scriptures to, to tell y'all, so maybe I will be short and sweet. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I, this was laid on my heart a month ago. And as I read this, and, you know, I've read through the parable, and I've heard Nick preach it, and I've heard Kevin preach it, and, you know, it was great. It spoke to me in ways it never did before, but, you know, I was going through this book not long ago, and, I mean, it jumped out, you know, pointing out these two types of Christians and using this parable to break them down. I thought, wow. You know, it, I mean, this is, this is great. I got to share this with somebody. And I mean, even if it's just you out there in, in internet land that I'm talking to right now, if it's just you that are listening right now, you're sitting there at your computer or your tablet, and you're wondering, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've got too much sin in my life. I've got too many things wrong. You're wrong. You don't have too much. 
All you have to do is confess. All you have to do is say, I'm, I'm ready, Lord. I've, I'm a sinner. I, I can't do this anymore without you. And just sit back and hold on because life's fixing to get real. It's not going to be any of these fake pleasures anymore. It's not going to be any of this self-satisfaction anymore. You're working for somebody else. You've been bought by the blood of Christ after you make that confession. So, I mean, I just, I had to share that. I had to, to get this out there somehow. So I pray that, as I, and I've been praying over this for two weeks now, since I, I got the okay. Um, I pray that if there's somebody here that, that needed to hear that, whether you're, whether you're the Pharisee in the temple or whether you've fallen away from Christ and you're just going through the motions right now or whether you're sitting here today as a non-believer, you don't, you don't know if you're ready for this. You just come here by accident for some reason. You know, I, just, I pray that something was planted in your heart today that you can carry through this new year, that you can take with you as in your walk of faith and you can, you know, use this as ammunition. You know, I, I'm praying right now that as the praise band comes up here and people get ready to come to the altar, that, you know, you're just, your hearts are ready. You know, this altar right now, this ain't for just coming to Christ. This is for bringing your burdens. Carry your cross. There's room right there. There's room. All you have to do is just come to him today and say, look, I've got this going on in my life, God. I need your help. I need you to help me get through this, this battle that I'm going through. I need you to help me to get through this, this addiction that I'm trying to fight. I need you to help me to get through this family issue we're trying to resolve. I need you to help me in my marriage. Whatever it is, don't be afraid to come up here and ask him.